Happy hauntings, horror fans, and welcome to part two of Midsummer. Um, not going to be chatting too much at the top. We're just going to jump right into it, but I will give us a little bit of a summary um, as to what we have seen thus far. Not sure when you listen to part one, but here's a little summary. So Danny, our main gal, lost her family in a tragic, tragic incident uh, in a relationship with Christian, who is not the most supportive, and they have gone to Sweden for the Midsummer Festival to visit the community that Pele, one of Christian's friends, is from. He was studying abroad in the States. That's how they all met each other. So Danny, Christian are there visiting Pele with their other friends, Josh and Mark. So we have seen the festival start. We have seen... Sinicide, which is basically two of the most elderly people in their community, sacrifice themselves because they, uh, you know, are now too old and not efficient um, and not helpful for the community. So we have seen them throw themselves off of this cliff. That's kind of where we were leaving off in part one. Uh, Connie and Simon, who are two other outsiders who were invited to this community by another member, Ingmar, are wanting to leave. We just left off with finding out that Simon has actually left supposedly without Connie, and Connie is very upset about this, and Danny is kind of watching Connie find out this information. So that's where we're at with this. Uh, If you've not listened to part one, don't listen to this one. Go listen to part one, unless you know the film really well, but... Like, please watch them in both parts, uh, because there's lots of rune stuff and history things that we talked about in that, so go check that one out. This is part two, and we are just going to jump right into it. After we see Danny learn what's going on with Connie and Simon, we cut to Christian talking with one of the community members, and in part one, we learned that Josh was visiting Sweden to write his thesis on Midsummer Festivals. While they're there, Christian has decided that he would like to write his thesis on specifically this Swedish community in Helsingland, the Horka. So, this has been approved by the elders, and Christian is now in research mode, chatting with people, trying to get information. So, he's asking this community member how jobs are assigned, and we see Danny walk up and let Christian know that Simon left without Connie. And Christian seems shocked, and he's like, wow, that's awful. Like, what a dick move for Simon to just leave. Is she okay? And Danny's like, I'm not sure. You know, she walked off. I'm I'm not sure where she went. And Christian seems empathetic to how Danny's feeling about Simon just leaving Connie. And Christian and Danny's relationship is is not the best, I think I mentioned in in the quick summary. Christian seems empathetic, but then immediately just like changes the subject and starts asking this community member about relationships. And he's like, how do you guys address incest in a community that is small? Like, how do you guys, you know, make sure that that doesn't happen? And the man explains that bloodlines are very well preserved, so the elders must approve mates. Sometimes cousins are allowed to, but on very rare occasions, and that the Horka do respect the incest taboo. Uh, and that because of that, they often need to invite outside people to partake in mating, essentially. Danny's listening to all of this, and then Christian watches Josh walk into kind of this main temple area where they keep their scripture, the Ruby Ralter. And so he is walking in with one of the elders. And Christian seems a little, I don't want to say irritated, but like, 
maybe irritated is the right word. Him and Josh definitely have this competition going between them about the information that they're going to be able to get because now essentially they're doing their thesis on the same type of subject, which caused a rift between the two of them. So Danny starts walking around and she passes what I'm assuming is like the kitchen area and one of the women comes out and asks if she would like to join them. She says, sure, that sounds great. And then she asks the woman if she has seen Simon anywhere. And the woman says that he was driven to the station and she asks if Danny got to say goodbye. And Danny's like, oh, sadly I didn't, but like, that's okay, that's fine. And she goes into this kitchen area to help all of the women make meat pies for dinner. They put a little apron on Danny and one of the girls says that she's very beautiful. And then we see Maya walk in front of the camera with one of these meat pies that's on a separate tray that looks a little bit different from all the other meat pies. And then we cut to Josh in the Ruby Ralter temple with one of the elders basically talking about the scripture. And this elder is explaining the different runes and he's also explaining that the Ruby Ralter is a forever work in progress. So they have Ruben, who is a disabled member in their community. And this elder explains that Ruben is unclouded because of his disability. So he's the one who gets to basically write and draw everything in this book. And the elders interpret it because Ruben is unclouded. And we see that they have hundreds of these books lining the bookshelves in this room and Josh asks how they decide you know how is it decided that Reuben was selected and this elder explains that Reuben is unclouded through inbreeding and they specifically will use inbreeding to have someone who's unclouded if that makes sense Josh asks if he can take a photograph of the book and the elder's like, no, absolutely not. Like that's, that's not an option. And Josh is like, no worries. That's fine. Totally fair. Just a question. My bad. Not, not a problem. And as they're having this little interaction, we hear a woman scream in the distance and it definitely sounds like Connie. And this scene's really interesting because we see it happen in three different locations. So we, we hear it with Josh when he's talking with the elder about the Ruby Ralter. Danny hears it when she's in the kitchen baking, and then Mark hears it when he's just kind of walking around outside that large yellow triangular temple. But it's only one scream. It only happens one time, but we get to hear it at like three different points in time, which I think is very interesting. We stay on Mark for a little bit, and he again catches eyes with the woman that he's kind of been flirting on and off with, and then a young boy comes over and says that supper is ready. We see everyone lined up at the table, and the first thing that I noticed when I watched it is that Christian's drink is a little bit darker, and it looks a little bit more orange than everyone else's. It looks like they have some kind of lemonade, or, you know, lemon tea or something. And like I said, Christian's meat pie earlier, he ends up getting the one that looks a little bit different from everyone else's. Danny asks if anyone has seen Connie, and one of the other community members says that Connie was driven to the station after Simon called her from the station and calmed her down. Danny's like, I still don't understand why Simon would leave without her, and Christian explains, I'm sure it was just a miscommunication. And we get, like, we, like, pan the camera back and forth in front of the group, and Danny's sitting there in silence for a moment, and then she says, I could see you possibly doing that. And Christian just stares at her and then asks, what the hell does that mean? And she just doesn't respond. Mark is getting daggers stared into him by the man who saw him peeing on the ancestral tree. 
And Mark asks Josh if that dude is going to kill him. He's like, is that dude going to kill me? Josh doesn't answer Mark's question, but he leans over to Christian and asks if he's learned anything yet about the Ruby Ralter. And Christian's like, oh, so now you want to collaborate because this had been a point of issue in part one with the two of them. And Josh is like, never mind. Forget I asked. Whatever. I'm sorry. Just, I, whatever. It's okay. None of them are really eating. Everyone's just kind of poking around with their forks. And Christian decides to just pick up his meat tart and take a bite out of it. And then he pulls a hair out of his mouth. And like I mentioned in the artwork that we saw, it is supposed to be indeed Maya's pubic hair. And the reason why his drink is darker is because her menstrual blood is in this drink. Mark starts freaking out. Christian tells him to calm down. They don't know about the menstrual blood part, but they've, you know, they've found the meat pie. Like I said, Mark starts freaking out. Christian tells him to calm down. And Josh then pulls his notebook that he's been taking notes at while they've been there and starts flipping through pages, seemingly looking for something that he had written or read about. We see Maya at the end of the table staring at Christian, but she looks away as soon as Danny goes to look where Christian's looking. It looks like Christian and Maya had kind of been looking at one another. And then Christian prominently takes a drink out of his glass. And then that woman that Mark has kind of been flirting with comes up to him and says, hey, come with me and I'll show you. And that's all she says. And he just goes, oh yeah, okay, yeah. And he gets up from the table and then he turns to his friends. He's like, I'm gonna be right back. She's gonna show me. Yeah. Yeah, she yeah. And just walks away. Like no one says anything. He just they just walk away together. Um, Mark's dumb, but that's the last time we see Mark alive. We zoom in on Josh as he's reading his notes, and it seems as though he's figured something out. And now that evening there in the sleeping room, Danny comes up to Josh and asks for another sleeping pill. And he's clearly lost in thought, and you can tell he's just in his own head. Very intense thinking going on. He gives her a sleeping pill, pulls into bed, covers himself up, but we see that he still has his little New Balance shoes on, uh, and this man is not planning on sleeping. Once everyone has fallen asleep, Josh indeed does get out of bed and makes his way over to Ruben's house where they keep the Ruby Ralter, and he makes his way inside very quietly and starts taking photographs of the book. We see via a reflection in the window that's in front of Josh that it looks as though Mark has come in and is standing in the doorway. And Josh turns around. He's like, dude, get out of the doorway. We're not supposed to be in here. And he takes a couple steps towards Mark. And then we realize it's not Mark. Um, it's someone standing naked from the waist down with Mark's hoodie on wearing Mark's face. It very gives, gives me very much Leatherface vibes, Texas Chainsaw. Um, and Josh realizes that it's not actually Mark. Uh, and then someone hits Josh over the back of the head with one of those giant mallets that we had seen at the Atstupa ceremony, and he falls to the floor. The person wearing Mark's face comes and stands over the top of Josh, and there's this, like, grunting, like, whining noise kind of happening, and I'm not sure if it's from Josh and it's taking him a while to die or if it's the person wearing Mark's face or, like, I'm not totally sure who is making this noise, um, but there's this you know, uh, kind of whimpering noise happening. And then Josh is dragged across, his body's dragged across the floor, and we can see that there was a pool of blood that he was laying in. And I will say that whoever peeled Mark's face off did a great job. Like, it looks so creepy. So creepy. Not a lot of, doesn't look like many mistakes, at least on, like, the face part. So whoever peeled his face off did a good job. So it is now breakfast time, everyone. 
everyone, is just basically Danny and Christian left from their group. Mark is gone. Josh is gone. So Danny and Christian are at breakfast sitting at the table, and Danny asks if they think Mark is still off with that girl. Pele says he wouldn't be surprised, and then Danny asks, what about Josh? And Christian says, I'm honestly not too concerned. Then one of the elders stands and says that he has something regretful to announce, and he says that the 19th book of the Ruby Walter was found missing this morning. No one knows where it is. They just ask that whoever took it return it to its original place. The temple will remain unguarded and unwatched, so whoever took it can just put it back. Nobody needs to know it was you. And then after this little speech, we see everyone putting their plates and dishes away after breakfast, and then clearly the elders are waiting to chat with Danny and Christian and Pele. They ask where Josh is, and Christian's like, yeah, we have no idea. We understand that this looks terrible, and we don't associate as friends or collaborators of his, and it's super awkward how he's trying to just, like, throw his friends under the bus and act all kind of, like, high and mighty academic, this, like, superiority complex that I talked about in the first one, um, and I, it just, it feels manipulative. Like, obviously, Christian didn't take the book, but... It's just, it's sad how he just will throw his friends under the bus so quick. Uh, Christian then explains that he doesn't think that Mark had anything to do with this, but, you know, he's like, I can't speak to Josh's actions. And Danny looks shocked with how Christian's acting and, like, what he's saying about these guys are supposed to be his friends who now just seem to be missing. And Christian says, we would be so embarrassed to be connected with this in any way, shape, or form. And the elder's like, well, let's just hope it gets returned. And then Pele chimes in he's like i also feel responsible and then pele and father ott are going to look for josh and mark to try and redeem the situation we learn that danny is going to be with the girls for the day for the day's activities and that siv would like to speak with christian in her house danny and christian kind of look at each other he asks if she's okay she says yeah and then he makes his way over to siv's hut and danny goes with the women for the afternoon and she's also given one of the horka smocks like the dresses that the women are all wearing when Danny's given the tr- traditional dress of her own, it bears two ruins, Radio and Zagas. And these are the ones that I taught, chatted about with Pele's picture that he gave her. And so Radio is in its regular form, suggests travel, journey, or reunion. But in the inverse, it's crisis or death, which it's, I think, inverted on her clothing. And then Zagas is typically awakening dawn or new beginning. Um, And when it's inverted, it can mean something like hopeless because it's just kind of like not in any kind of direction at all. And so that's kind of what the runes on her dress are, the same ones that Pele wrote on the picture that he drew of her. We see there's some kind of mixture being ground up and added to the water. It looks like some kind of tea or lemonade. And all of the women are getting a little scoop of whatever this drink is for the dance competition. Danny asks what it is, and one of the other women says that it's tea for the competition. That's the only description we get. So Danny and this other woman get their little cups of whatever this drink is, and this woman shows her what they're supposed to do. So they take their cup and they put it on the other woman's shoulder, and then they drink, and then they do their inhale-exhale. And so Danny does it. They do that. The girl gives her a big hug. And now we see that all the women are lined up around the maypole. Well, all of the younger women, I'm guessing these are like the 18 to 36 aged women. Everyone is standing in line, you know, in circles around the maypole. And Danny looks at her feet and sees that it looks as though her feet are sprouting grass, which we saw this happen when she was high on mushrooms at the beginning of the film. 
so they definitely put something good in the tea for the competition. We learn that they do this ritual or festival ceremony, whatever you want to call it, um, the competition, because at some point in the Jorka history, the devil came to their community and made the people dance until they died. So now, in life-holding defiance of the Black One, we dance until we fall, and she who survives last will be crowned for her stamina. That is the description that we get from this older woman leading this competition. So, in fact, the legend of the Horka makes for a perfect horror movie fodder. It's really creepy. It takes place in northern Sweden, and it's long been associated with evil forces. So specifically with the story about the one time the devil disguised as a fiddler forced the town's inhabitants to dance until their death. So there's a famous folk song called the Hargalaten. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, Translates to the Harga song in English. And the song begins with the fiddler easily seducing the entire town into dancing. So the fiddler pulled his fiddle out of the case, raised his bow to the rising Sunday sun. Then the people of the Horka got excited. They forgot God and the whole world. With just a few notes, Horka is cut off from the rest of the world. Much like we see in the film. And once the villagers start dancing, there's no stopping. The song says the use of Horka wore through body and soul and perished from exhaustion. Um super creepy folk tale the song is sung by someone who is in the doomed dance troupe so like the um point of view of who's singing the song and then as the song goes on the awful realization dawns on the singer and the lines go oh god forbid he has a hoof and by the end the singer is still alive and she's dancing knowing what awaits her And it ends with, he won't stop the dance before everyone falls down dead. So that's a little uh, folklore lesson into the real Horka and this song that kind of encapsulates this competition that we see in the film. So the woman who is kind of leading this competition claps her hands, the band starts playing, and, and all of the women around the Maypole bow, except for Danny, because of course she's, you know, not done this before. The music picks up and everyone starts dancing around the maple. We get quite a bit of a dance montage from the competition throughout the next couple minutes. But right now, we're going to cut back to Christian. And he is in the front part of Siv's house in this little sitting room area. And he's sitting in this chair. And her, her walls are completely covered in, like, the folk artwork. But it's all black and white instead of, like, the color that we've been seeing. And Christian is just staring at this image of a bear that is set on fire. Siv comes into this little sitting room and invites him to come into this other basically sitting room. Like the first room was just a chair and there was a couple of carpets on the ground. And then this next room is just a carpet on the ground with like a handful of chairs and a fireplace in the corner. Like if this is her house, there's really not much in there. There might be something more in the back with like a bedroom. But yeah, there's there's really nothing in there. Um, And again, in this other room, artwork is covering the walls. But again, it's only black and white. Christian and Siv are standing, staring one another in the face, and then he does not sit until Siv does. And when he does, he sits back in the chair a little bit, and then he's like, look, I have no idea where Josh is. I can swear to that on my mother's life. And then she cuts him off, and she's like, how do you feel about Maya? And he's like, whoa, like, Maya? And then there's a pause, and he says, how do I feel about her how? 
and Siv explains you've been approved to mate with her. You're an ideal astrological match, and she has fixed her hopes on you. And then we get this close-up of Christian, and he just, like, pauses for a moment, and then he says, I think I ate one of her pubic hairs. And Siv says, sounds probably right. And the next thing we see is Christian leaving Siv's house. We don't see what they agree or not agree to. We don't see the rest of that conversation. Um, but if you ask my opinion, I do think that Christian agreed to go through with the mating. I don't think maybe he realized the full effects of what that would mean. Um, but I do think that he agreed to participate in whatever he thought that that might look like in order to learn more for his thesis. I think that in his head, he thought that that would be a one-up on like Josh and kind of that competitive side of Christian that we see. Um, but if you ask me, I think that he did agree to essentially cheat on Danny. Um, whether or not he understood what that fully meant and Siv and him talked through that process, but I do think that he at least agreed to something when they were in that room. And like we've seen throughout the film, he's been kind of one foot out the door with his relationship with Danny for a while. So we cut back to the competition and we are seeing more dancers have fallen. Danny's having a good time. She's smiling. Quite a few girls, like I said, have fallen. And at one point, Danny bumps into a girl and she starts throwing up. And this causes Danny to kind of pull out of the fun that she's having. She looks really worried and kind of scared, but she keeps dancing. Things seem to settle down a little bit. And then she continues with the festivities. We see Christian sit down, and he's watching the festival happen. He sits next to Pele, and pretty much as soon as he sits down, Maya drops out of the competition and kind of throws herself on the ground, not directly in front of Christian, but in front of his eye line. And she kind of stares at him while she goes to sit down. And they, you know, keep kind of looking at each other. And then we see a lot of girls have fallen now. They're down to the final eight, and Danny is one of them. She looks out to the audience and the crowd, and they're not verbally excited, but they're doing like the little, um, like jazz hands up in the air, kind of. So everyone is doing this, and Christian doesn't even seem to be paying attention. He's just staring off into space. And when Danny realizes that he's not paying attention, um, she looks definitely bumped out. So they're getting ready to do the final part of the competition. Like I said, it's the final eight women. And one of the other women who's fallen out of the competition brings Christian this glass of what looks to be the same lemonade that was drank before the competition, but we're not really sure. And he says, thank you. And then he asks what it is. And she says that it's spring water with special properties. And he's like, oh, okay. Then he asks what it does. And she says that it breaks down your defenses and opens you up for the influence. And he says, okay. And then he looks kind of bummed. And he's like, you know, I, I don't feel like it. I don't really want to have a bad trip. No, thanks. And she's like, oh, no, no, you won't. You won't. Trust me. It's fine. And she like pushes the cup toward him more. And he nods. Then he looks down toward where Maya is sitting, who I think is purposely not looking at him. And then he just downs what's in his cup and puts his head in his hands. We see Pele smile next to him, and then we cut back to the competition. Danny's still dancing. She's definitely in a good part of her trip right now with whatever was put in the drink. They keep stopping and starting the music, which tells the girls when to stop and start dancing. Danny's now smiling. Again, she's having a good time, like I talked about. It looks like there's still eight women left, but the one woman that Danny was close to at the beginning, you know, who like helped her with the drink and they were standing next to her. They start speaking gibberish to one another, uh, which is really funny because they're acting like they're both speaking Swedish, but they're, they're not. They're just 
saying a bunch of nonsense and, and giggling and laughing. So now we see a couple more girls fall. It looks to be three women left. Danny, the woman that she's been hanging out with the whole time, and this one other girl. And as Danny and this one woman are speaking gibberish, they all start laughing, and the woman that Danny has been speaking with bumps into the other, and those two fall, which leaves Danny as the sole victor of the dance competition. This makes Danny the May Queen, and everyone's very excited. She gets this large flower crown, and then we see the flowers on the crown start breathing. So she was definitely given some sort of psychedelic. The Jorka are so excited. They're congratulating Danny. Everyone like groups around for a photograph. And then there's a close-up shot of just Danny and that we see is taken. Maya is standing almost directly behind her, looking very happy for Danny. She even grabs Danny's face and like rubs their noses together in like a congratulations. We see everyone is congratulating Danny. And then we like her mom, Danny's mother and father are in the crowd and she sees her mom pass her but she doesn't get a moment to like really focus on that like she says mom and then goes to look for her and then Pele comes up and says congratulations and kisses her and they seem to have a, a like a fine kiss Danny seems fine with it seems to distract her from her thinking that she saw her parents you know I think it was just in her head um you know because her parents are dead and while she's like being congratulated by all of the different Horga people, we see that everyone's eyes are like different sizes and seem to be kind of like moving around their faces a little bit. Again, the flowers on her head are breathing. And then they put this little platform on the ground in front of Danny. And when she steps on it, these four men raise the platform and start carrying Danny away with all of the community members behind her singing. And we notice that Christian in this scene is way in the back by himself, almost like he wasn't invited to be a part of the celebration. He's not celebrating, but we soon learn that Christian is struggling with his own drug trip at the moment. Danny is being led to this large banquet table, and we get a view of the banquet table while everyone's walking toward it, and the meat looks rotten. Everyone is now standing, and Danny is at the head of the table with this huge floral chair, like flowers all over this chair. And Christian is slowly making his way to an open spot at the table where he's supposed to sit. No one is sitting until Danny decides to sit down and everyone else follows. And she's across the table from Siv, who's at the other head of the table. Danny notices that the leaves on the chair are breathing and she touches them and they like move with her arm, which is really cool. And finally, we see Christian is taking his seat at the table as well. Danny's looking around at everyone and sets her hands in her lap before grabbing her utensils and starts cutting her food. And then everyone else now is allowed to eat. Danny looks down at Christian and he... He looks like he's going to be sick, to be honest. They catch one another's eyes and stare for a moment. And then this woman comes up and offers Danny a herring, so a fish. And they explain to Danny that she needs to try and eat the entire thing whole to bring good luck. And so Danny's like trying to get away from this fish. And this woman is just dangling it in her face, tail first. And part of the tail goes into Danny's mouth and down her throat and then Danny just ends up spitting the whole thing out and everyone's like oh dang it but like that was such a good try you did so well everyone's laughing they tell Danny that she gave it her best shot and it was really it was a really good try and they're all being very encouraging and now we're down with Christian and he tries to get the attention of the man sitting to the right of him and he says excuse me sir like what's going on and then this man just like claps very loudly in Christian's face which causes Christian's trip to get worse. 
Christian's like, why would you do that? And then the man seems to think that that was kind of funny. We now get a toast to the May Queen, which everyone takes a little drink of whatever they had at the table. And Danny does the little like inhale, exhale, which makes everyone smile. And the woman who's been helping her in the competition and with her the whole time is like, this is so great. You're now part of the family. It's so great to have you as my sister. We look back down to Christian and we realize that he is across the table from Maya. He catches her line of sight and then she stands up and kind of nods her head toward the Ruby Ralter temple and then gets up and leaves. And while she's like walking back to this building, she's staring at Christian the whole time. And he watches her walk away, but he remains seated and just continues to watch her leave. We still see everyone eating, and now we see that Pele is drawing another picture of Danny, but now dressed as the May Queen. We go down the table towards Siv, and she stands and explains that now the May Queen will go bless their crops and bless their livestock. Danny asks if Christian can come, and they say no. This is a woman's job only for the women, and so only the women will be going. And I think that this is really interesting because I think even in all of this, there's a part of Danny who invites Christian so that he can learn about this for his thesis. Like, I don't think necessarily that it's her wanting his safety because she doesn't seem worried in in this time necessarily Um, and it could just be my interpretation but I think that again she is trying to go out of her way to support him in any way that she can Um, even with everything going on she still thinks of Christian and his needs first um, even when it's not necessary and you know they're they're not in a good place so we see now that there's this carriage behind danny it's absolutely beautiful the fanfare in this film is phenomenal the set design in this film is phenomenal it's just it's so good danny is handed this torch and she walks to the back of the carriage and lights the two torches on the back of the carriage and then we see the carriage is pulled by six women into the woods where they'll be going to bless the crops and the livestock Christian watches as they leave, and again, he looks like he's going to throw up. He's all hunched over. He doesn't look like he's having a good time. And as Danny is being pulled away in the carriage, there is this woman laying flower petals from the Ruby Ralter temple to directly where Christian is sitting so that he gets up to follow the trail of flowers, essentially to go do the mating ceremony, ritual, whatever you want to call it with Maya. And while he gets up to walk to the temple, everyone's just standing at the table waiting for him to go. We see the carriage pull up to a spot in the woods, and there's this small hole dug in the ground, and a bunch of seeds are put into it, a piece of meat is put into it, and an egg is cracked over it. And then all of that is covered with dirt, and this is what Danny will be blessing. So the woman who's been helping her walks Danny through what needs to be done. They end up kind of walking in circles around this little hole that's in the ground you know that that's been covered with the meat and everything um doing these chants and you know showing danny how she needs to do the blessing essentially we cut back to christian and he's been prompted to change into traditional horica clothing um you know the white and blue and but he's just has a robe on we will soon find out uh, so on the robe that Christian is given, we see the symbol of Twas, I think is how it's supposed to be pronounced. And this is associated with the god Tyr and is also associated with masculine power and energy. So, of course, this makes sense because this robe is put on him right before the mating ritual. 
And so as he comes out from behind this little partition, one of the elders takes this pot full of smoke and tells Christian to inhale it for his vitality. Christian breathes in the smoke and then seems to fall further from reality. His pupils are now huge. They look about the size of olives right now. And he's standing in front of one of the elders who has this really interesting mask on. It's like he's got this red cap on and then it's almost like mop fringes are hiding his face. He opens the main door and we see there's a group of women, older women, I'd say probably like 36 to 54, I think is the is the next cutoff. You know, like the fall season in the life cycle that Pele was talking about in part one. Um, that's like the age group that I would guess. And so all of these women, there's probably eight to ten of them standing kind of in an arched pattern in the back. And then Maya is sitting or laying on the ground in this bed of greenery and flowers that they have made on the floor. And she's originally lying on her back with her knees kind of to the side. And then she brings her legs up and essentially we get one of those hot dogs or legs. Um, and so from Maya's point of view, she's looking at Christian and opens her legs for him. One of the other women goes to get him. They lead him toward Maya and they, she ends up taking off this woman who goes to get him ends up taking off the robe that he's wearing. And then we cut to Danny and the other women. And it looks like they are standing around the livestock doing their blessing for that but this is a very far off camera shot we don't see kind of the specifics of that blessing cutting back to christian and maya they're basically performing this mating ceremony how, whatever you want to call it and these women are humming they start singing and as maya is moaning they are also moaning as well again it's like what i talked about in part one where they're trying to share in that experience like when the man broke his leg and everyone started screaming they're trying to make the person feel held essentially and trying to share in the experience maya even before everyone starts moaning reaches for one of the women to pull her clothes and so this woman like gets on her knees like directly in front of christian's face and is holding maya's arm in like a comforting sort of fashion and Christian just looks shocked when this woman kind of, I don't want to say joins in, but, you know, really in, invades the space that him and Maya have. I mean, it's one thing to have, you know, 10 different women watch you have sex, but then this one woman is, like, directly in front of where your face is. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting experience. And, you know, of course, he's on drugs, which I don't agree with. I don't think he knew what he was agreeing to. So that doesn't make it right, but I do think that he did agree to participate in the ritual um, because we didn't see what happened. I think if he would have said no, I don't think he would have drank the drink because I think he knew what that meant. Maybe he felt like he didn't have a choice. Again, these are just my opinions. Because I think he knew that in like there clearly had to have been some kind of Viagra or something in the drink because i think if he was as high as it seems like he is that might be a little bit difficult and this whole ceremony ritual is to ensure hopefully that maya gets pregnant so now the carriage with all the women and danny's pulling up outside civ's house and we learn that danny is going to go inside she'll have a special meeting with civ and then civ will bless danny and as Danny's being told this, she can hear all of the moaning and commotion going on from inside the Ruby Ralter temple. 
she starts to make her way over there and one of the women is like that's not for us you know you don't need to go in there and danny immediately looks like she's gonna cry like she just looks heartbroken hearing what she's hearing and i think she knows what she might find when she goes over there but she persists and she goes anyway she takes off the flower crown and as she's getting closer to the temple the other girls are slowly starting to make their way over and follow danny Danny stands just outside the temple for a moment and we wait and we listen as she slowly makes her way up to the door. She doesn't open the door, but there's this large keyhole where it's, you know, the perfect amount of size for her to look in. So she takes a rest, puts her hand against the door, and then again she looks like she's going to be sick because I think she knows what she's going to find when she bends down. She does anyway. She opens her eyes. And we don't see what she sees, but as soon as she can see inside, we then hear Christian taking part in the moaning. Danny immediately starts crying. She throws up just outside the door of the temple, and now the women are running over to aid Danny. She starts wailing. They pick her up and carry her to the sleep house. Danny crawls into the bed and is still sobbing, just crying. The women let her cry and want to cry with her and danny can't really seem to figure out where she wants to be i think i think she wants to be alone but these women aren't going to let that happen they're essentially all crowding around her but not in a not in a threatening way danny starts hyperventilating she ends up crawling off the bed and is now on the floor and she seems to just be wanting to crawl away but the women all stop her they get in front of her they're all surrounding her and then danny just starts wailing and the women start crying with her everyone's screaming and when i first watched this i was like i would that would piss me off so much because i think i would feel like i was being mocked in this time that's like so painful for me but again i think that in the community this is a way that all of these women are holding danny while screaming in pain with her i think it does make danny feel held like pele was talking about in part one both physically and metaphorically And we get probably 30 seconds to a minute of all probably eight to 10 of these women just screaming and crying and hyperventilating. And it cuts back from these younger women to the older women with Christian and Maya. And I don't want to say that they're coaching this, but one of the women even gets behind Christian and starts like pushing him more like further into Maya They finally finish and Maya starts telling the one woman that she had initially reached out to in the beginning. She's like, I can feel it. I can feel the baby. And all of the women are so happy. They all come to kind of crowd around Maya. And then as soon as this is done, it almost seems like Christian kind of snaps back to reality a little bit and realizes what's happened. He gets up immediately and he takes off out the door. And again, he's 100% naked and he goes to run kind of to the right side of the building and then he sees three men kind of walking his way. So he decides, nope, I'm going to run in a different direction. Uh, He doesn't know where he wants to go, but he hears all of the younger women with Danny crying in the sleep house. So he knows that's not going to be a good option. So he runs towards this little shack area and as he's running toward it we see josh's leg sticking out of the garden probably from like his knee down so like his calf and his foot just sticking up out of the ground and christian then turns and runs towards the chicken coop instead he goes to hide inside and as he turns to go further into the chicken coop once he's inside we see simon filleted open in the back 
in this chicken coop, strung up with ropes and flowers, and the chicken appeared to have picking out of him. Christian walks up and slowly approaches. So Simon's like, like face down, kind of hanging in the air, and his back has been filleted open. It's pretty intense, and it's even more odd because there's just like strings of flowers and christian bends down to look at simon's face flowers have been put into simon's eyes it's such a creepy shot christian essentially stands right under simon's face and as he pulls back up one of the villagers blows this powder in christian's face christian coughs and then he passes out we see two elders and what appears to be pele peeking in the chicken coop at the doorway and this transition is my other favorite because christian falls to the ground essentially this powder whatever it was is knocking him out uh, but his eyes are still open. And so the man who blew the powder in his face uh, closes his eyes individually. And so like half of the screen goes black and then the other half of the screen goes black when the man closes the other eye, which I think is really fun. We're still on a black screen. And when I saw this the first time, I was like, if they end it right now, I was going to be so mad because there was a small part of me that was worried that they were just going to end it there with just like, oh, and now we don't know what happened. And I was going to lose it. But we hear someone trying to rouse Christian. And then one of the other villagers, this woman who gave him the drink, uh, opens one eye and then opens the other eye, which, again, is a very fun transition. She tells Christian, you can't move and you can't speak, okay? Good. And then she goes and she stands with the rest of her community. Everyone is standing in the sunshine. Everything is quiet. And we see there in front of the stage that we saw at the beginning of the film. Danny's in the middle of the stage, literally covered in flowers, like a flower throne, flower crown, flower dress. Just, she looks like she's sitting under a pile of flowers. Siv goes on to explain that today they will surrender nine human lives as Horka takes, so Horka also gives. Thus, for every new blood sacrifice, we will dedicate one of our own. That is four new bloods, four Horkas, and, and one to be chosen by the May Queen. So like I've talked about a couple times, pretty much everyone in this wears white with a little bit of stitching in a blue color. Not many people wear other colors. Siv wears a little bit of this orange-red color, and then during this ceremony, we see Maya in a lot more red. And she's also wearing red lipstick, which none of the other women in the film look like they're wearing any makeup. And I think that this is to show that she has come into her womanhood and she's hopefully going to be with child soon. But it's interesting to see the different fanfare and the clothing throughout the film. And like in part one, we talk about the elders were wearing blue and the people who are participating in that ceremony to aid the elders were also in blue so i just think it's it's fun to notice those color choices and of course at the end when we wrap up we'll talk more in depth on cults siv explains that these souls will be reborn in the new cycle the four new bloods have been sacrificed as as two of the horgas so the two elderly community members and then there are two volunteers ingmar and orm have offered to sacrifice their own bodies and Siv goes on to explain that today they will be joined in harmony with everything and these two seem very excited about this Pele is also being honored for bringing new blood and the new May Queen uh, he will not be sacrificed but he will also be honored and so that is eight out of the nine offerings in addition to Josh Mark Connie and Simon now the May Queen gets to choose between a pre-selected new blood or a randomly selected Horka and so we see one of the elders go over to this, it looks like a lottery spinner, you know, like where the numbers would come out. 
And all these different balls in it are covered in the runic alphabet. And one of the balls comes out of the thing, and we learn that it is Tubjorn's ball. And so he has been chosen as the randomly selected possible choice for Danny to choose from. So now we learn that Danny must choose between sacrificing Christian or sacrificing Tubjorn. Everything goes silent as they await Danny's decision. We get a close-up on Danny, and she looks exhausted and sad and on the verge of tears. She stares at Christian, and we get a close-up of him. And again, he's not able to move or talk. And so we get this like almost hopeful music. It's a very interesting choice, and I, I like it. I like that they picked that instead of something more sad or intense. We don't actually hear her decision, but after we zoom in and hold on the both of them, we see the community start to fill the yellow temple. So we see Pele is taking what looks to be Connie's body into the temple in this little wagon. Other community members are taking the other offerings in as well. And now we finally get to see the inside of the temple. Looks like a bunch of hay bales stacked around, not too high, just, you know, maybe two hay bales, uh, two hay bales high along the inner perimeter. Um of the temple, and that's where the bodies are going to be placed. So they're sat on these haystacks, like sitting upright, and the, again, the inside is pretty much just all wood paneling, but in the top front triangular section is a couple of runes. So two runes that we see is the ungus, the fertility symbol, benefiting, of course, of a sex cult like kind of what we see and so it suggests that the springtime energy of plant life emerging after the depths of winter and the procreation of all life on earth since the temple the symbol is painted on is about to be burned down as a means of extreme and especially morbid fertilization its appearance here makes sense and then the second rune that we see is gebo this one is strongly associated with gifts and generosity. Presumably that sentiment here refers to the sacrifice and the living and dead tributes locked within the temple who are about to give their bodies back to the earth so the cult can continue to grow food and prosper. We see Simon and Josh, and it looks as though Josh has both of his feet back now, have been placed in the temple. We see the two elderly people brought in, which this is the only thing that I don't understand because... We see their faces too well, and their faces were bashed in. Like, the one gal hit that rock, like, face first at the bottom, and her face was all mangled. And so was the elderly gentleman. So I'm not sure how their faces look so intact now. Maybe, and we saw their bodies get burned. So that is one piece that, like, gets me every time. I'm like, I don't know if these are, like, wax configurations or something of the two elderly people but yeah like we we saw that that i feel like it couldn't be them so that's the only plot hole i think that like bugs me in this movie but i look over that so then we cut from the temple being prepared to this little what looks to be a kind of workshop and we see the brown bear that we saw earlier in the film has been killed and is lying on a table and one of the elders or older gentlemen i don't know if he's officially an elder but one of the older gentlemen is teaching these three younger boys i'd say probably ages eight to twelve how to take all of the intestines cleanly out of the bear so we watch them do this and we see that christian is sitting in his wheelchair in the corner of the room watching this happen and before we come into this workshop, we see the Horka members saying goodbye to Ingmar and Orm. 
And on one side of the building, everyone is saying goodbye to them. And on the other side of the building, two women are talking and one woman is clearly sad and crying. And I'm guessing is sad because she maybe had feelings for one of the two people who have volunteered to be sacrificed. The next thing we see is Christian in the temple and he's been placed into the bear skin. His face is like where the mouth is on the bear and his body is covered in bear fur. Now the elder that has that like mop fringe hat says mighty and dreadful beast we will purge our most unholy effects we banish you now to the deepest recesses where you may reflect on your wickedness and that seems to be like he's standing in front of christian saying this and saying it to the temple in general and then we see another elder who is talking with two volunteers from the horica he gives each of them something uh you know to ingmar and orm he gives each of them i'm guessing a little bit of tree sap and says take from the yew tree feel no pain take from the yew tree feel no fear and he puts a little bit of like i said what i'm assuming tree sap on their tongues and then he exits the temple and now we see three different elders enter the temple with torches and they light the hay on fire at this point we've kind of put everything together that the temple is going to be completely burned down um, and that picture that Christian was looking at of the bear in Siv's house was very much a foreshadowing of his fate. He, along with the Horka volunteers, are burned alive. We see the elders with the torches leave, and the rest of the community is standing quite a ways back in this beautiful shot of just the yellow temple with all the lush green hills behind it. We get a close-up on Danny's face, and she's looking sad and somber. The rest of the community is singing some type of, honestly, it kind of reminds me of the Grinch when all the who's seeing around the Christmas tree and how the Grinch stole Christmas, you know what I'm talking about? That's kind of what this scene reminds me of. Um, it just, it gets me every time, like, that's what I think every single time I see it. I'm not mad about it, though. Now we go inside the temple and we see everyone burning. The two Horka people start burning and then they start screaming and thrashing, which then causes the rest of the Horka to start screaming and thrashing as well. We get this beautiful collection of like minor chords at the end, which I think is rather lovely. And then we get the shot of the Horka screaming, throwing themselves around and smiling. We see Danny, and she's still in this floral costume, head to toe flowers. You can only see her face and a little bit of her neck, and the entire community. The temple is now up in smoke and flames. Danny is trying to walk, but having a hard time carrying all these flowers. She's gasping, she's crying, she's trying to catch her breath, and then Danny starts laughing. She turns back, and we see all of the Horkas crying and screaming and throwing themselves around. We see this young boy doing, you know, children are even participating in this. Danny looks around. She looks at the temple that is now collapsing in on itself from the fire, and she starts to smile. And this is the end of Midsummer. I love this movie so freaking much. Um, so I used two articles that I used um, to find info on the ruins and the Horka. One was from theweek.com and one was from Refinery29. I will add these in the show notes when I get ready to post the episode. So if you have anything, like check out the description and those will be in there. But I thought this movie was so fun. I definitely did not think it was going to be this layered when I saw like the previews for it and I went and saw it in theaters for the first time. I think I saw this in theaters three times and then as soon as I could buy it, I wanted it, but I waited um, to get the director's cut for Christmas, which I'm very excited I did. 
again, it's super long. I totally get how this wouldn't be some people's forte, especially in terms of horror, but I love a good cult story. I love character dynamics. If you listen to the podcast, you know I am a sucker for a good character dynamic, especially in terms of emotions and mental health and that type of stuff. So Danny and her grief, of course, is a perfect target for a cult. Like exactly what they were looking for. Someone who doesn't have family who's going to come looking for them. Someone who needs reassurance, who needs a family. You know, they're going to cut her off. They're going to make her feel supported. They're going to turn her against the kind of only person she had. Josh and Mark, she knew them, but they weren't her friends. Christian was the only one that they needed to kind of drive a wedge in between that relationship to get her to go, yeah, I'll stay here with Pele, who has basically outright said i can be better to you than christian and she didn't seem turned off by that you know again i know i harped a lot on christian i know i did i try not to but he does just drive me insane we did have that scene in part one though when pele explains this and danny you know explains that he can do a better job than christian essentially and Danny doesn't say no. She doesn't say you can't do this. She doesn't pull her hand away when they're holding hands. She doesn't say this needs to stop. We don't see the rest of that scene play out. She also doesn't stop him when he kisses her after she wins the May Queen competition. So, not saying Danny is not at fault. I am saying that Christian drives me nuts and that Danny was a perfect victim for this cult of the Horka. And, like, the idea that they then brought her into the cult by having her pick. Like, the competition was rigged. She was supposed to be May Queen. Everyone knew that Danny was supposed to be May Queen. And I think that it shows just how good they did at what they needed to do. Because if you look from where the movie started to her watching these two people throw themselves off of a cliff to then actively participating over the course of maybe three days, probably not that many. Um, Yeah, maybe three days she was able to do that. And I mean, and the main things that people say in terms of recruiting cult members is picking the right target. Danny was definitely the right target. She just lost her family She was feeling unstable emotionally and she wanted that stability, especially with a community and with love. Love bombing is the next one. More or less self-explanatory. That's what, I don't think Pele was necessarily love bombing her, but he was trying to get her to believe in the love that he has for her, the love that he has for his community and the love that the community has within it. The next piece is isolation. They're in the middle of Sweden. No phones, no internet access. Supposedly the drive to the closest train station is 45 minutes. Like that's isolation, check. Next thing is, is controlling things. They were able to do that. They were able to keep Josh busy, keep Christian busy, get Mark away. Everything operated so smoothly on the Horka's end, most likely because they do this very, very often, they knew exactly what they needed to do to get Danny to do what they wanted. I just, I find cults so fascinating and interesting, but I know that this has been a long one and two parts. So 
I think we're going to wrap up here. I just, uh, I would love to know your thoughts on Midsummer. Feel free to send me a message on the podcast social media. I have the podcast on social media on Instagram and Twitter under M Murder Movies. So that's M as in Massacre Murder Movies on Instagram and Twitter. I would love to know your thoughts on Midsummer. Huge Ari Aster fan. Can't wait to one day do Hereditary, but this one I just really, really wanted to do. As we go into June, I hope that you are able to do something fun and safe for the Midsummer celebration. Uh, maybe don't join a cult. That would be my recommendation. Don't don't join a cult this midsummer. Um, but yeah, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please give it a like. Follow on Spotify. Follow on Apple, wherever you listen. Feel free to rate and review. And I will see you guys in about a week when we jump into The Stepfather. We're going to do the... I think it's the 2009 version, the most recent one with like Penn Badgley. We're going to do that one as a fun Father's Day episode. And yeah, very excited to continue on with the podcast. I hope that everyone has a lovely week or weekend whenever you're listening to this. And remember to stay safe and stay spooky.